Hi guys and welcome. This is Jen Gata Siciliano, artist, memoir writer, bipolar psychiatric survivor, and your host of Not As Crazy As You Think podcast, the place that offers an alternative perspective on mental illness, highlighting creativity, non-conventional healing, and breaking on through to the other side. If you are ready for a new narrative on the mental realm that celebrates crazy and cool without penalty, then Not As Crazy As You Think is for you. Hello, this is Jen Gavis Siciliano, your host of Not As Crazy As You Think podcast. Thank you for listening once again. Last week in the episode Dogmas of Science Part 1, I spoke about the mechanistic materialist worldview that the scientific establishment clings to as the only one that's real. This thinking directly supports the theory that Mental illness is caused by structurally inheritable genes. So in this era of the human genome and the future of precision medicine, naturally finding which mental illness genes to target and fix is top priority. So the breaking news is all over the internet on science research sites and genetic engineering sites regarding the new find of over 64 regions of the human genome associated with increased risk of bipolar disorder. It's the largest study to date published in Nature Genetics on March 17, 2021, titled Genome-Wide Association Study of More Than 40,000 Bipolar Disorder Cases Provides New Insights into the Underlying Biology. The study involved 372,000 controls of European ancestry. Genome-wide association studies are observational studies. They don't prove cause, but correlation. They have genome-wide association studies regarding everything from walking pace to eating behavior traits and most of all mental illness. They look at a set of genetic variants in different individuals to see if any variant is associated with a trait or certain phenotype or expression of a person's genotype. For bipolar disorder, this can be a number of behavioral expressions from insomnia to mood fluctuation to psychosis. They claim the results of the study advance their understanding of the biological causes of bipolar disorder. But in fact, it simply reveals new genes to target for developing pharmacological treatments, this time with precision digital medicine, the promised next generation of psychiatric drugs. Back in the day, the drugs were horrendous with physically debilitating side effects, but the drugs were taking care of the biological problem on some level, they told us. And if the goal of emotional numbness is ultimately achieved, then the psychiatrist believes it is successful treatment. That is because they begin with the assumption that the mind is inside the brain. They never really know what the drugs are supposed to do. Their job as a doctor is to simply alleviate symptoms, which at the deepest root means changing behaviors, feelings, and thoughts through psychoactive agents. And yet, the deeper mind becomes stuck inside the body through the process. Now, with more data from this study, they have more targeted areas to treat, with the emerging ability to switch genes on and off as they choose. The intent behind gaining this knowledge is for purposes of creating new and improved drugs, and many preventative ones for those simply at risk, 
or those that match the genetic markers for these disorders. And this time, it's not just the bipolars. They are after the genetically depressed. On the website of neurosciencenews.com, published yesterday, May 28, 2021, a massive genome-wide association study of genetic and health records of 1.2 million people from four separate databanks has identified 178 gene variants linked to major depression. The study was published May 27th in the journal Nature Neuroscience. Don't be fooled. The only reason for these studies is so that they one day can identify people most at risk of depression and help doctors prescribe drugs best suited to treat the disorder. The meta-analysis was taken from data from genetic health records from the UK Biobank, FinGen, a Finland-based biobank, and the consumer genetics company 23andMe. They then cross-checked their findings from an analysis with an entirely separate sample of 1.3 million volunteers from 23andMe customers. I wonder how many customers are aware that they're signing up for a study involving all their genetic data. It's the underlying assumption that's the problem, that only these things matter and not the million other things related to depression. So what if they are wrong? What if all this research will lead to nothing new? No new knowledge that is relevant or progressive. These studies are useless if one doesn't subscribe to their biological theories on mental illness. Their materialist worldview strictly adheres to the idea that genetics cause mental illness, but subpopulations that share genes will also tend to share a culture and an environment. This makes it hard to disentangle these factors when trying to assess the cause of an outcome of the group, whether it be social or health-related. The problem lies in what we believe these genes hold in information. Human genes cannot possibly account for the complexity of human traits or behavior because only 20,000 genes are tallied. After the Human Genome Project was completed in 2003, scientists were surprised to find out how few genes humans have. Instead of a projected 100,000 genes, we only have 20,000. What's more bizarre is that sea urchins have more than humans at 23,000. How does anyone mathematically accept these theories based on this arrangement? Aren't we a bit more complex than a sea urchin? So shouldn't that be reflected in the amount of genes each organism has? Based on their beliefs, the structural gene itself is the basis of all inheritance. So it's not just an incorrect theory, but it has enormous economic and political consequences. Because of this conviction, the global mental health movement, led by countries like the UK, continues to gain stride with its attempt to force the rest of the world into thinking of mental illness through this biological interpretive lens, with their claims that their drugs are the most effective treatment. Moving into other cultures once again in their imperialist style to colonize their minds. In these studies, they compare the genomes of lots of people, but it only leads to about 10% of an explanation for heredity. The rest is unexplainable. This is referred to as the missing heritability problem. 
But although they are aware of this, countless studies continue in this area, largely funded by biotech companies and their gene therapy treatments of the future, which are based on their genetic theories. But Rupert Sheldrake's morphic resonance may explain the rest. Scientist and biologist Rupert Sheldrake challenges today's scientific dogmas in his book, The Science Delusion, or in the U.S. titled, Science Set Free, 10 Paths to New Discovery. In Chapter 6, he asks the question, is all biological inheritance material? In Rupert's prologue, he quotes the science historian George Sarton, describing the institution as a sort of priesthood. Truth can be determined only by the judgment of experts. Everything is decided only by very small groups of men. In fact, by single experts whose results are carefully checked, however, by a few others. The people have nothing to say but simply to accept the decisions handed out to them. Scientific activities are controlled by universities, academies, and scientific societies, but such control is as far removed from popular control as it possibly could be. If psychiatry considers itself a science, then you can imagine how a patient deals with this fundamental approach. It's worse than facing a priest in the act of confession. Essentially, since only scientists know things, anyone else outside this group has distorted beliefs. And being on the other side of this extreme dogma destroys the confidence and sense of self-determination of someone in a vulnerable situation. But it doesn't matter to them because self-determination isn't real, especially for one of the mentally ill. The only thing that's real is what genetics say. As scientists, they at least have a better chance at self-determination, even though they know it's not true. Committed materialists don't believe the mind experience even exists. It's crazy. They deny what's inside their own minds so that they can have a theory that's right. Because of this rigid dogma, people are reluctant to be open to new ideas. Rupert discusses that this is the historical result of what happened in Europe in the 17th century. Science was the third way outside of the Christian worldview who were divided between Protestants and Catholics. By discovering the laws of nature through science, humans could get direct access to God's mind, working even better than religion. Science was enlightenment, but made sense spiritually, until that came to be seen as an obstacle. In time, the very process of science became anti-religious. Today, the majority of scientists are not European anymore and don't have that historical baggage. Many are Chinese, Indian, from all over the world with perspectives outside of the mechanistic framework. They just go along with this material worldview for sake of keeping their jobs. Rupert says that a return to pluralism needs to be put forth in science. In all other areas, we have many different points of view, in religion, in politics, but in science, Anyone that disagrees is declared a heretic. This is dogma like in the days of the Holy Roman Empire. Don't question it. They know the truth. The dogmatics won't try anything else until they drive their stupid theories into the ground through generations. They refer to the alternative research as unnecessary because given the mechanistic theory of life, cracking the genetic code, sequencing genomes, and modern brain scanning techniques will one day explain everything. And there will be no alternative considered until this has failed. 
but it is failing very obviously in psychiatry. And yet the global mental health movement staunchly moves forward, spreading itself like a lie virus all over the world. This is no longer just theory. Standing by these theories without any critical thinking is affecting the world in a huge way, and it is irresponsible for us to let it continue. These pseudo-skeptics look at their world through denial and do not consider alternative evidence, just the evidence that supports their theory. This is a belief system, not what the practice of good science is actually revealing. Rupert asks the question, should science be a fundamental belief system or should it be based on open-minded inquiry into the unknown? I've been waiting my whole life for them to open their minds and look at the right evidence. But true healing is not where the money is, not for big pharma. Comparative research with other therapies for mental health, providing an experientially evidence-based system, outside of drug studies, include therapies that do not fit into the materialist worldview. But they are valid treatments. They include various mind or faith cures, shamanic healing rituals, Ayurvedic medicine, acupuncture, and so many other opposing systems. Despite all the reported success by their users, they're ridiculed and considered quackery by this institution. The biased materialist worldview is the only one offered funding for more medical research, shaping the policies of insurance companies and health services. But the medical establishment believes in no effectiveness anywhere else. In contrast to drug therapy, psychotherapy alone has proven more effective. But even psychotherapy, once heralded as triumphant in matters of treating mental illness, is now considered irrelevant within this gene-centered materialist view of the mind. There are millions of us, a slow but growing movement, who are trying to get off these meds. I was like many bipolars and schizophrenics, or mystics and shamans of our modern era, who are punished for their gifts. Throughout history, they have tried to hold back the mystics, from burning them at the stake to imprisoning them and drugging them up in mental asylums. The acute symptoms of schizophrenia, for instance, include having lost touch with reality, or psychosis. Studies involving psychosis are just stats. They have nothing to do with the context of the psychosis. Themes are wholly ignored because they do not believe that what is inside our minds is real. In my experience, psychosis is connecting deeper to a larger reality that not everyone can see, but that doesn't mean it isn't real. We know plenty of things scientifically that cannot be seen, but are real. My shamanic dismemberments or psychotic experiences, continue to show me things I could never have known without them. A deep wisdom and understanding of how things relate to each other through space and time. But they don't want to talk about these unreal things, and yet physicists understand the potentialities of a quantum universe. Another symptom of schizophrenia is seeing things that are not there or hearing voices or hallucinations. How can anyone honestly say they know what others are thinking and hearing? If you consider other possibilities through a theory like morphic resonance, which I'll get to, then these voices can be traveling through time and space, guiding us if we listen. 
People who have tried psychedelics know that they can see things under the influence that others can't. But for others who may do this on their own, most likely accidentally, but they need training on how to use their gifts, not lifelong medical experimentation and abuse. Another symptom is believing things that are not true or delusions. This is the best. You have to see how many things they say are delusional that I utter in my hospital records when I have mountains of proof they are true. But I never get my day in court with them on trial with my evidence. They would ultimately win anyway, because they are the experts. Anything I say is taken as a delusional statement, even if it's true, because that fits their story about me, so that they can be right and process their data about bipolar people with certain genetic markers throughout our documented history in their eugenics records. This mental health system was not created to help those in distress. It was created to control those who were deemed as mentally ill. Because they believe our brains aren't capable of working without their invasive intervention. And this worship the Western world has of this old paradigm is killing the spirit of humanity. There are so many ways to heal. Fundamentalist science is clinging to a theory in the face of new evidence to hold on to power. But for everyone to achieve mental health again, we need to rediscover meaning and purpose in our lives outside of their dogmas. It's about experience versus theory. Outside of cultural inheritance, such as language, for instance, which is a transfer of information that is non-genetic, their belief system says all other traits must have material inheritance, which is why the mind, which they deny is real, continues to remain inside the brain based on their theories that deny the real experiential evidence of their own minds. This idea of passing down a structural thing that defines who we are as a human being is so reductionist that it doesn't make sense in the real world. We are so much more than a phenotypic expression of a gene. Molecular biologist Richard Dawkins furthered the gene-centered scientific outlook with his popular book, The Selfish Gene, in 1976 which created a stirring in the imaginations of the masses with its suggestions that nature is in a competition of genes. Through this reductionist point of view, the smallest things became the most real, which gives the highest esteem to molecular biology, naturally Dawkins' own specialty. But by distilling everything down to the smallest elements of things, we are missing the fuller composite of what genes produce. The entirety of a human being. In 1976, these evolutionary ideas also took over physics as well. Now, all of nature is random evolution, which calls for a purposeless and meaningless view of the universe. But this is not our true reality. That is, if you want to remain sane. In neo-Darwinist gene centrism, all things are predetermined, and there is no purpose. This philosophy is at the core belief system of our Western world and at the heart of the global mental health crisis. The mental health system does not care about a person improving on their own because our genetically defective brains makes us incapable to do so. They don't believe in potentials in people, which is reflected in quantum theory. No blossoming from seed to adult seen in nature through observation. At the first sign of one of their so-called symptoms, you are mentally ill for life, and they can prove it through genetics. This is not science or logic. 
It's fantasy and it's insanity and has taken over everyone's good judgment about who are the experts and who we should be listening to. The neo-Darwinism modern synthesis of evolutionary theory was formulated between about 1920 and 1950, and it combined classical Mendelian genetics with the Darwinian theory of evolution by natural selection. In the 1950s, with the discovery of the double helix by Francis Crick, James Watson, and Rosalind Franklin, this new modern knowledge of genes and chromosomes was the heavenly answer from above to explain the physical mechanism through which natural selection works. From then on, genes became the fundamental key for understanding life. Neo-Darwinian evolution became a competition between genes, leading to medical advances focused on genetics. But is this the most efficient way we evolved? Rupert suggests that if we change our mind about what evolution entails, we might see more of the larger picture. We can evolve much quicker through morphic resonance, which is most likely true because it explains so many phenomena that are unexplainable with their current mechanistic model. If offspring can inherit acquired characteristics, for instance, this creates a much more purposeful role of co-creativity. Morphic resonance is the idea that nature forms habits that evolve. Habits require a kind of memory within nature when similar patterns of activity influence subsequent patterns of activity across resonance of time and space. Morphic resonance is non-local. It involves a transfer of form or information rather than a transfer of energy. And it includes all self-organizing systems, from atoms to plants to animal societies. Morphic fields include social fields that link together and coordinate the behavior groups, as well as mental fields that underlie mental activities and shape the habits of minds. Explains Rupert, we are connected to the past by memory and habit and to the future by desires, plans, and intentions. Are these memories and virtual futures contained materially within brains in the present? Or are minds connected to the past and future by non-material links? It's obvious to me that future goals exist in a realm of possibility. They are not material. In quantum physics, the wave function maps potential future states of a system in terms of a mathematical description of possibilities. In the human mind, neither the future or the past is material. The subject chooses among future potentials and the direction of mental causation runs from the future to the present. Both past and future have effects on the present through memories, habits, and choices. Outside of the material conviction that only structural genetics plays a part in the manifestation of reality, morphic resonance opens up the conversation for all kinds of previously taboo subject matter in science to be researched, from psychic phenomenon to traditional spiritual practices like the shamanic journey. With this alternative understanding of how traits might be passed down, all sorts of acquired characteristics can be inherited. This can also lead to a more proper understanding of inheritance of mental illnesses. If family psychic healing has not occurred within a family, those ideas and habits get passed down through morphic resonance, not a material gene structure with a destiny of only one predetermined outcome. 
So is the research currently being done on these genome-wide association studies going to give us the larger answer? No. But Rupert believes we are on the threshold of a new age of science, a renaissance, which will be much more fun and interesting for scientists, and hopefully more forgiving and freeing for all other non-scientists as well. Thanks for listening to Not As Crazy As You Think, and don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. And remember, mental health is attainable for anyone, especially those labeled with mental illness. Until next time, peace out.